Welcome to Origin Gates Daily Podcast called Wisdom's Echo. I'm Samantha Mahoney sharing a thought with you for the day. In my previous podcast, it was titled The Mystery of Communion. I want to actually go a little bit deeper today, so I'm looking at part two of that mystery of communion. One of the things that I absolutely love to do is watch documentaries about different people's lives. One of the things that have stood out to me so deeply and helped me to understand the power of why we take the body and the blood of Yeshua is a story of people who have had different things happen to them as a result of having organ transplants. One of the stories that I remember so clearly is of a little girl who receives an organ transplant. I forget which organ it was that was transplanted into her, but she started to have terrible nightmares from the time she had that transplant. She would dream about somebody chasing her and trying to kill her, and this really um, upset her and distressed her. They began to do, the parents began to do some research into the organ donor and they found that the donor was someone who was murdered. They had never found the murderer. So police worked with the little girl, drew up an identikit of the man that she saw in her supposed dream and they pulled an identikit together and they actually managed to catch the murderer of this woman who had donated this organ. How did that even happen? Every cell in your body holds memory. When you receive a blood transfusion or you receive an organ transfusion um, donation, you begin to hold on to and tap into the memories that come from your donor. I've personally worked with people who have had blood transfusions and um, organ donations into their body who have had, they've noticed like a personality change come over them. They start to have these desires that weren't theirs. They start to, maybe some have gone into depression, um, different things that have happened and they've noticed that it's only happened after they had that transfusion or that donation into their body. And I've worked with some people on how to deal with that. Another story was of a woman who um, led a very healthy lifestyle. She enjoyed opera music. She didn't put anything, you know, that wasn't wholesome and organic into her body. Nevertheless, she had a problem with one of her organs and she also needed a transplant. After the transplant, she began to notice, and again, this comes from one of the documentaries that I've watched, after she had that transplant, she started to notice a craving for Kentucky Fried Chicken. And she would find herself going into the shop and getting their chicken wings and whatever else it was. And she was like, where the heck did this desire come from? I have never put anything unwholesome into my body. And she also began to have a new taste in music. She began to enjoy rap songs. So she also did a bit of investigation about who her donor was. She went and visited the family, found out how um, that he had been killed in a gang-related incident, but he loved Kentucky Fried Chicken, and this particular rapper was his favorite. Those memories got transferred from the donor to the recipient. Gives you a little bit of insight into what happens with us when the word talks about us going to be transformed into the image of Christ. How does that even happen? It happens as a result of partaking, eating and drinking of the flesh and the blood of Yeshua. In my last podcast, I spoke about how when the Hebrews came out of Egypt, they were given the rehearsals that they God's 
um, um, they God's different feasts. It's not the Jewish feasts, it's God's feasts. And they were given these things as rehearsals for the main event. Part of the process of the rehearsal for the Passover meal was that they had to bring a lamb without spot, without blemish. They couldn't just bring their sloppy seconds, you know, the lamb that had one eye and three legs and that kind of thing. It had to be a lamb without spot or blemish, without sin. This was for the un unintentional sin that had been done by the people. It's the lamb's, it's the innocent lamb's blood that would pay the debt of the unconscious and unintentional sin of the people. Now, why a lamb, why a goat, why a turtle dove? It's because they do not have in them the potential to intentionally sin or to take a life. This is why we don't offer snakes and lions as our sacrificial meal, because they have the potential to take life. And we know that there's a judgment that comes even on animals that take a life. Genesis 9 verse 5 says, And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. So the, the sacrifice that was offered by the people had to be a lamb because there's no sin, there's no malice within that particular animal. Now, even in the consumption of food, the more innocent the blood, the more nourishment it has for us for consumption. It doesn't necessarily come from the meat, but the life that is in the blood. And we know that the word talks about the life being in the blood. So the innocent dies so that you can live, so that you can get that full nourishment. The less innocent it is, the less strength I get from that particular food. That's why we don't eat humans. That's why we shouldn't be eating humans. Because that blood within them contains the records of all generations, which gets transferred to you. There's huge potential for intentional sin within humans. And those that consume it will produce um, offspring that, you know, where there's mental illnesses. Do you know that it's recorded in studies that eating blood brings on mental, mental issues in, in different ways, shapes and forms? The occult understand the power of blood, which is why they use it in their rituals, why they drink blood. They understand that generational trade and they actually get something for that trade. You know, when you when you in a ritual drink somebody's blood and you're drinking the generational line that goes down into many generations, you're pulling all that into yourself. You know, even when Cain killed Abel, and God says to him, where is your brother? And he says, am I my brother's keeper? The Hebrew understanding of what God says next is plural. When he said, your, blood, your brother's bloods cry out to me from the ground. In other words, it's not singular as in the blood belonging to your brother, but the bloods, in other words, the whole generational line that would have come from Abel is now crying out before God. Communion. When we take the body and the blood of Yeshua, it's about reprogramming your DNA. We see in scripture time and time again in the Old Testament, do not eat or drink any manner of blood because the life is in the blood. <clears throat> now we see in the New Testament, Yeshua in John 6, he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now he does this whole opposite 
everything that was in the law, don't eat any manner of blood because the life is in the blood and it's for, for making atonement for your sins. And now here is Yeshua saying, eat my flesh and drink my blood. There's this whole mystery inside here. Even the word talks about how Yeshua lost many of his followers when he began to preach that message. There's a whole mystery contained in the eating and the drinking of his blood and of his body. So if all the memories are transferable from donor to recipient, what is going to happen when we partake of the body and the blood of Yeshua? What is the original pattern that comes from the beginning, from the realm of the spirit where Yeshua himself came to earth as a man so that he could identify with us? Now we eat that pattern and we go back to our original Blood is so important and it's so interesting to note all the different places that Yeshua actually bled from. They all contain a message. They all contain a revelation. They all bought back because we know that the blood of Yeshua has bought us. It's the price um, that was used to buy us back to our original pattern. So let's have a look. The very first place that he shed his blood was in the Garden of Gethsemane. That you can read that in Luke 22 verse 24. It talks about his sweat was drops of blood. So here he is in this place. He's praying, Father, if you can take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Adam used his free will in the beginning and he brought the whole of mankind after him into sin. But here in the garden, the blood of Yeshua, our Redeemer, buys back our will. The place where we messed up right in the beginning. We also know that as he's taken and he stands before the Sanhedrin and he's judged, he receives whippings on his back. That's another place that he bled from, his back. What did that buy for us? 1 Peter 2.24, it says um, that by his stripes, we are healed. So all of that bleeding on his back bought back our health. It paid for our sickness and our disease. Another place that he bled was on his head. Now there's a whole amazing mystery just from understanding the head and what happened with that blood that was shed from his head. We know that... Um, he wore this crown of thorns. Let me just read to you Matthew 27 verse 28 to 30. It says the soldiers stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. Remember that scarlet robe, okay? Put a scarlet robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it upon his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spat on him, they took the staff, and they struck him on the head time and time again. So Yeshua wore this crown of thorns. Now, unlike the traditional crown, which is depicted by being an open ring, the actual crown of thorns may have covered the entire scalp. And I'm just quoting research by a guy called Lumpkin. He says the thorns could have been about one to two inches long, and the gospels state that the Roman soldiers continued to beat Yeshua on the head. The blows would drive the thorns into his scalp, which is one of the most vascular areas of the body and forehead, causing that severe bleeding. Now, I asked you to remember about the scarlet robe and also the crown of thorns. Let me just take you back to see what this actually redeemed when Yeshua went through this. Genesis 3 verse 17 says, Cursed is the ground because of you. This is just when Adam and Eve had partaken of the fruit after Yahweh had said, Don't. 
Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Okay, now I'm just going to pause that. I think you're getting where I'm going. It, the ground, when it's cursed, produces thorns and thistles. This is the thing that Yeshua has on his head. Isaiah 1 verse 18 says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They, though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. So the Bible describes sin by the color of scarlet and the thorns that first appear as a sign of the curse. And here, as Yeshua is going through what he's going through for us, he puts on that scarlet robe, take, showing you he's taking the sins that all of us have been cursed with and the ground that was cursed by the thorns and his blood redeems that on his head. What about his hands? We know his hands have nails in them. Deuteronomy 28, 12, it talks about the restoration, the total dominion over the works of our hands. We now have authority to carry on the works that he's actually caused us or, or um, mandated for us to do. In the beginning where he said, take dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air and every creeping thing over the earth. The work of our hands, he's now restored it by the blood that comes out of his hands. The next place is his feet. He bled from his feet when those nails went into his feet. What do you do with your feet? You walk. You take territory. He's now restored because of his blood coming from his feet. He's restored your dominion to take territory everywhere that you walk. And another place was his side. We know that the spear went into his side and we know that water and blood came out of his side. What does the word say about water and blood together? Luke 4 verse 18 says, water and blood are the witness of who we are in heaven. When that spear went into his side and that water and blood came out, he is now restoring your original identity as a son. The seventh place he bled was on the inside of his body. We know that he was beaten. Now, when blood comes out of your body, that's a wound. But on the inside, that's the record of iniquity. It is blood on the inside of you, but it doesn't come out. This is his blood now breaking that record of every iniquity in your DNA. Go and check out Isaiah 53 verse 5. 1 Peter 1 verse 17 to 19 says, For as much as you know that you were redeemed, that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish or spot. So we weren't bought back with worthless things like gold and silver, but more valuable thing, which is the blood of Yeshua. And he purchased back every place so that we could walk as a son in his identity. Now, when Yeshua talks about his body and his blood, he's actually talking about food because he was with his disciples in the room and he says he broke the bread and he gave it and he said, this is my body. This is my blood. It's food. John 6, 48 says, I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate manna in the desert and they died, showing that what we're doing by eating this body is not something meaningless like the manna in the desert, which actually did transform their DNA. Because it wasn't the stinky food of Egypt. It was a heavenly meal that was given out of heaven, which began to change their DNA. 
But he's saying, it's not this what I'm giving you, my bread, is not that that was given in the desert because your forefathers ate that and they died. I'll carry on reading. It says, but there is a bread that comes from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh that I have given for the life of the world. So important to do this communion, to do it with understanding, knowing that he is that bread of life. John 6.53 says, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you, because the life is in the blood. 1 Corinthians 15.51 says, listen very carefully, I tell you a mystery. Now in the Amplified, it's got a bit of a, a bit of a expansion on that. It says it's a secret truth decreed by God and previously hidden, but is now revealed. We will not all sleep in death, but we will all be completely changed, wondrously transformed. How do we get transformed into the image of Christ? It's going to only be through his body and his blood. There's a mystery in taking that. It transforms you into his image. It gives you the life that you need. So I bless you today and I look forward to catching up with you next time.